Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. As we are in Revelation 13, if you'll remember, a few weeks ago we started in chapters 12, 13, and part of 14... We're sharing who are the characters or the players in this story of the apocalypse. All of a sudden, Jesus stops in the midst of the chronology of what is happening. And he says, here are the people who are involved. There in chapter 12, we're introduced to five of those. One of those being the woman who is Israel, who is about to give birth to a male child. And we know that male child is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we were introduced to the dragon who is Satan. O Lucifer, who fell out of heaven, who is now the devil. And he was sitting there waiting to destroy or waiting to kill that child born of Israel, of the nation of Israel. And we know that Jesus has been the enemy of old Satan. And he's been battling Israel and he was waiting to consume and to kill Jesus. Even there at the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, Herod tried to kill those babies to destroy him. And Satan's been after him ever since, but he wasn't successful. And we saw the story, or another character, Michael the archangel and his uh, righteous angels who are doing battle in a heavenly war against old Satan and the demons of hell. Satan, who had been cast down but not cast out of heaven, seeks finally to seek to overthrow the throne of God. And whenever he does seek to overthrow the throne of God, Michael and the angels cast him out of heaven. He can no longer have any presence there. That's why it says in that passage in chapter 12, those who dwell in heaven have reason to rejoice because the old enemy is thrown down and he can't be there anymore. We find that he's been cast down to the earth and he's cast down and it says that there's a warning to the earth dwellers for the old dragon has been thrown down and he is full of wrath for his time is short. Describing really that last three and a half years what is called the great tribulation of those seven years of tribulation of all of what the enemy would seek to do and wreak havoc in this creation and this world. We also were introduced to those who were the offspring of Israel, the offspring of that woman, either Jews or Gentiles who have put their faith in Christ and have a testimony in Jesus. Then we move to chapter 13. Chapter 13 introduces us to two more of those characters of the apocalypse. The first of that chapter, we saw the beast from the sea, the beast from the sea, that sea representing all of the multitudes of the nations of mankind. Also, the fact of the raging of the sea is the fact that the world was in upheaval. And it's a picture. And uh, this beast of the sea is a picture of the Antichrist who is going to come and rule and reign in the latter days during that time of tribulation. There's going to be such an upheaval in the world because of war, because of famine, because of terror, that they're going to be looking for who can set things right, who can be the answer to that. And the old Antichrist is going to come forth and he's going to be the answer, not going to fight anybody. The nations, those 10 other kingdoms are going to just bow down before him and let him rule and reign because he's supposedly to have that answer. We find out halfway through that after the first three and a half years, he breaks his treaty with Israel and he begins to reveal his real nature And that is he's an instrument of Satan here to seek to kill and to destroy. Now we come to the second character 
a second beast in chapter 13. And it says it here in verse 11. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performed great signs so that even that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And it deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, and the image of the beast might have e- that might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small, the great, the rich, and the poor, the free man and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy, to sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man. And his number is 666. Probably one of the best known things or thought of things about the revelation is that number 666. We are introduced to that today. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is the Next person who is the character of the apocalypse. An interesting thing, when Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, sees these closing events, last week we saw in his prophecy, he foretold this one who would be the Antichrist, who would be that beast from the sea. He revealed that and described him to us very vividly. But one thing that John sees that Daniel did not see is that the Antichrist has a co-conspirator. There is someone else who comes alongside to do the work of Satan. Daniel didn't see that. Daniel didn't talk about this beast from the earth. He didn't talk about this one who is called the false prophet, for that is his name. If you were to call him not the beast from the earth, but he's called in chapter 16, chapter 19, and chapter 20 of the Revelation, read those. He is going to be identified as the false prophet. But Daniel didn't see that about this one. But here John reveals to us the false prophet. As I shared with you last week, Satan creates nothing. He just likes to duplicate everything. He likes to copy what God does. And we know that there's the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's right. And old Satan comes forth to bring about the unholy trinity. Satan serving in the place where God would be God the Father. The Antichrist being the one who represents the Son of God, our Christ. And then this false prophet, this beast described as from the earth, represents the Holy Spirit or serves in the place of the Holy Spirit in the unholy trinity. Let's see what it says in description about this beast. It says, And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke as a dragon. When it says that the beast comes forth from the earth, there are two thoughts about that as far as what that might represent. 
One thought is that the earth for a Jew only really meant the promised land. As far as a Jew was concerned, there's only one thing that really mattered, and that was the holy land. That was the land that God gave them. Everything else is just attached to hold that up. So when it talks about the beasts from the earth, it could be that this false prophet could actually be a Jew who comes forth from the Jewish nation. Another aspect of that or thought about that is the fact that the earth was thought of in the mind of people as settled. The sea was a raging sea and things that are unknown, but the earth was settled where you put your feet on the ground. And so therefore, this person be coming out not of the, not of the cause of the rage and things that are happening in the system, but because of something that would be settled or something that would be thought of, something that would be a, a source of comfort, a, sur- a source of rest. And so many people believe, as it would follow his name, that he's going to rise up out of religion, that he's going to rise up out of that religion of that day, all right? Religion has been a part and has always been a part of every generation, of every culture. No matter what culture, there's always some kind of religion or someone, something to be worshipped. Even in our day and time, when somebody says that they are an atheist, well, they're actually a part of the atheist religion. That is a religion. Atheism is a religion. Say, well, how is it a religion? Because that person believes that there is no God just like you believe there is a God, right? They're putting their faith and trust that there is no God. We put our faith and trust there is a God and His Son is Jesus and we make our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. All of those are based on faith. Exactly so. They're putting a basis of religion in atheism. Materialism is still a religion. Everybody has some kind of religion. And in this day and time, in this tribulation time, there's going to be a religion. And people wonder what kind of religion is. Many theologians believe that it is going to be the social church. Did you hear that? The social church. You you might say, Brother Mac, that can't be possible because you told us earlier that in the time before the tribulation, there's going to be the rapture of the church. You're exactly right. I told you that. But wait a minute. Hold on. That's the rapture of the true church. Amen. Amen. It has nothing to do with the social church. What does that mean? That means that the church, there are people in the church who come to church, who are involved in church, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The ones that Jesus comes to take are those who have a personal relationship with Jesus. I hope you understand this, that the the day or the Sunday after the rapture, some people will still be going to church. All right? Some people will still be going to church because they won't know anything happened. It didn't happen to them. Now, I hope that you're not one of those who's a part of the social church and not the real church, not the spiritual church. If you are and the rapture happens and you come the next Sunday, I'm not going to be here. All right, I'm not, I'm not going to be here. And, and I hope you're not here, amen? Amen. But there is this social aspect of the church. And and therefore, this social aspect of the church and religion, even being carried on in the time of tribulation, that out of that grows this one who is going to be the false prophet. Because the false prophet, even that word prophet, points us towards religion and towards belief. Look what else it says about him. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. 
Now, the lamb is pictured many times in religious activity. We know the Paschal lamb. We know the lamb of sacrifice. So once again, that picture of the lamb would be one who would be involved in religion. But it's also so important because that lamb is a copycat again of the old, what the enemy does with towards the true trinity. Because we know that this is not, this is like a lamb, but he's not the real lamb. Because this lamb has two horns and the real lamb we were introduced early in the revelation had how many horns? Seven. Horns represent what? Authority. The real lamb has seven complete, perfect authority. The lamb of God has perfect, complete authority. This one has two horns. He has authority, but notice something about his horns. They're not like the the beasts from the sea. They're not like the Antichrist because he had 10 horns and on his horns were diadems or were crowns. Remember that? And the crowns represent political leadership. In other words, the Antichrist is going to be a political leader. He's going to be a ruler over the nations. But this one, the false prophet, is not going to be a political leader. He is going to have authority But that authority is not political authority. It's going to be religious authority. He's going to have religious authority and he's going to be in working with the enemy and with the Antichrist in overseeing and ruling this world. He comes like a lamb. He has two horns like a lamb. But notice this. When he speaks, he speaks like a what? He speaks like a dragon. And that dragon, we've already been introduced, introduced to him. Who's that? So Satan. So here's the one who looks like, he would be a religious leader, looks like the lamb, looks like it. But when he speaks, he reveals his nature. For what he speaks reveals his heart. And the one who's pulling his strings and the one he works for, and the one he's motivated to serve is not God Almighty. It is the dragon. Now, Jesus already warned us about that whenever he walked on this earth, didn't he? He said, beware, beware of wolves that come in sheep's clothing. Isn't that what he said? Beware of the wolf that comes in sheep's clothing. Beware of the lamb that looks like a lamb, but when he speaks, he speaks with the voice of the dragon. For that is his nature, that is his purpose, that is his plan. Now look what it says in verse 12. He exercises all authority of the beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. What is the purpose of the false prophet? Well, he's given authority. The authority he has has been given to him by the Antichrist. Ultimately, the authority he has has been given to him by Satan. And he's been given that authority by the Antichrist and by Satan to do one thing. This is the primary thing he's going to do. And do you know what it is? It is the exact thing that the Holy Spirit came to do in relationship to Jesus. He's just going to do it in relationship to the Antichrist. Now, answer that question. What is it? What is the number one thing that the Holy Spirit 
came to do in this world. Now, I know he's our comforter. I know he's our teacher. I know he's our counselor. I know all of those things about the Holy Spirit. But what is the number one thing and the number one purpose the Holy Spirit had when he came here on the earth? It's found in John chapter 16. Begin reading about verse 14 and complete that reading. You'll find it out. But this is what it says. The Holy Spirit came to this world to glorify Jesus. Did you hear that? That's his number one purpose, is to glorify Jesus. The reason he fills your heart and my heart is so that we might be instruments of glorifying Jesus. To allow the Holy Spirit to fulfill his purpose is that we would glorify Jesus. That's what he came to do. Well, then what does the false prophet come to do? He comes to glorify who? He comes to glorify the Antichrist. His very purpose, he was given authority, and his very purpose is to glorify the Antichrist, to draw people and to command people and to usher people in to worshiping and glorifying the Antichrist. That's what it says there, verse 12. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, that's the Antichrist, who we talked about this last week, whose fatal wound was healed. Remember we talked about what was going to happen with the Antichrist? He's going to be struck down. It says here in a minute, he's struck down by the sword. He is as though dead. He is pronounced dead by Satan himself. But before he can be buried, he is given life back, seemingly life back. And now because this miracle has happened and life has come back into him, the whole world bows down to worship him. They've never seen anything like that before. And then comes the false prophet along who says, see him, see what happened. See that miracle. See what took place. You need to worship him. You should worship him. He's constantly drawing the earth dwellers to worshiping this beast from the sea, the Antichrist. Look at verse 13. And he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Here's a very interesting thing in this story. We know that God can do all kinds of miracles and great signs. Amen. Jesus did miracles and great signs. But Satan has a power. God, I don't understand this, but God gives him a power at times to do great signs, to perform what seems to be, looks like miracles. Things that we really can't understand or grasp. We get to heaven one day, I'll ask God, if I have to ask God, don't have the mind of Christ, I already know it. But I'd like to know, really, why did that happen and why it take place? But we know that Satan has certain powers to do those kinds of things. Let me give you one Old Testament illustration. You remember when Moses came before Pharaoh and he was trying to reveal that God had spoken to him, he had the power of God, and he threw down his staff, and his staff became a what? Remember? A serpent. All right, he got that, he became a serpent. But you remember what the magicians of Egypt did? You remember what they did? Who remembers? They threw down their rods and what happened? They became snakes too, right? Now they're not of God, they're the enemy. What did Moses do to theirs? Ate them, that's right. Well, at least you got the, you're on God's side, he eats the other, amen? I don't understand all that, but it took place. In the same way right here, This old false prophet is given power to do some great signs. He does great signs. 
One of those great signs that he does is he calls fire out of heaven to the earth. Now, why would he do that? Because once again, they can't ever do anything original. They got to copy it. Where does fire come out of the heavens to earth? In God's word, in God's plan. Talk, talk about a few. Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed by fire and brimstone out of where? Out of heaven. Is that not right? Yes, that's right. Well, what, what are some other things that happen? Elijah, standing on Mount Carmel, says that the God who answers by fire and consumes the offering and the offer, altar is the God who's the real God. And God's fire came down. And the Baal prophets couldn't answer that. Or whenever they came and they're going to come, those soldiers, 50 soldiers, the commander are going to come and take Elijah and said, man of God, you must come. And he said, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down and consume you. And it comes down and consumes on three different occasions. Those, the fire of God comes down. Or in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Tongues of fire rest upon their heads. Isn't that right? Or even in the, in the Revelation, when God brings about those two witnesses who are his powerful anointed witnesses, it says that if somebody tries to do harm to them, that fire comes out of their mouths. The fire of God from heaven. So what does Satan do? He's got to prove that his antichrist or that his false prophet has these powers. So he calls the fire out of heaven onto the earth in order to impress people in order to get their attention, in order to see that they are supposed to be and should be consider him unique. Now, here's an interesting thing about that whenever he has this power to do that. Look at verse 14. And he deceived those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast. These signs are used by him as a way to deceive people. Let me show you the uniqueness between him and Jesus. Jesus, they always called on Jesus and asked Jesus time and time again, show us signs, didn't they? They'd say, show us a sign and we'll believe. Show us a sign and we'll believe. And Jesus always refused to show a sign in order to get them to believe. But not this old false prophet. He's going to do everything he does out where everybody can see it so that he can deceive men and cause them to worship and join in in Satan's worship and following the Antichrist. Look at the rest of verse 14. Here's another one of those miracles that it says he's going to perform. It says, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. It tells you how the, the Antichrist is going to be struck down with a sword. And then he's going to be brought back to life. And he says... This false prophet says, what you need to do and what needs to happen is you need and we need to create an image of the beast, an image of the Antichrist. Now stop there for just a minute and let's kind of get in a chronological order of what's happened. We know that the beginning of all this happens in seven years, all right? All this happens from chapter five on happens in a seven year period, tribulation period. We know that one of the first things that happens in the tribulation period when the blowing of the first trumpet is the Antichrist shows up on the scene. So we know that he's on the scene and he's been showing his power and favor, making all kinds of 
of treaties with Israel and the temple be rebuilt. All this stuff is happening in those first three and a half years of those seven years. At the same time, we know that the two witnesses come on the scene. God's two witnesses. The church has been raptured. And here come those two witnesses or who are going to be bold witnesses. They're, those two witnesses lead what I believe those 144,000 Jewish evangelists to Christ. And they go around the world sharing Christ. And they're there. But their primary work is in Jerusalem. And they work out of the temple. The rebuilt temple there in Jerusalem is their headquarters. It's where they've been carrying on that work. Now the old Antichrist, he can't, he can't stand the fact that they're doing that. But remember, he can't touch them. They're sealed by God. They're protected by God. He can't touch them. Whatever they want to do, they're going to be able to carry on until the time. Well, finally, oh, Antichrist is becoming get so angry, and God has finished his purpose through those two witnesses that the Antichrist is going to rise up. This is three and a half years in the midst of it, and it's going to strike down those two witnesses. Remember where it happens, don't you? It happens in the city of Jerusalem. And their bodies lay on the street. Nobody will bury them. The whole world sees their body. And they're all throwing a party because those two witnesses who persecuted them about the gospel, they have finally been killed. Well, at that same time, old Satan is going to go in, break the treaty with Israel. He's going into the temple that has been rebuilt. And he's going to pronounce himself as God. He is God. That's the way he's going to pronounce himself. And he demands everybody to begin to worship him. That's called the abomination of desolation. Along with the fact that the image or the idol to this beast or the Antichrist is going to be put in the midst of the temple. But here's what happens. You remember what took place to those two witnesses? Did they stay dead? No. God gives them life back. They stand back up on their feet. The whole world sees them standing back on their feet and they don't stay there. God takes them to glory. Well, at that particular time, it's where the old anti, the uh, old false prophet has got to do something. He's got to do something to get their attention away from these two witnesses who've been resurrected. He's got to get their attention. So what he does at this particular time there in verse 14 He tells them that what must happen is they must make an image or an idol to the beast, to the Antichrist, and it's going to be placed in the temple. So this image, it could be an image of of the Antichrist himself. It could be some idol. But he takes and places that in the temple. That's the abomination of desolation. But that's not all. Here's where that power comes in. Listen to what it says. Verse 15. And there was given to him... To give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is some of the strangest things you've ever imagined. Somehow, some way, Satan in all his power gives to this false prophet an opportunity to deceive the people. By bringing this, or seemingly whatever, to bring this image to life, and that image is now going to speak. It's now not just move, but is going to speak. And what he is going to do and speak is this, that you must worship the image, you must worship the beast, you must worship the Antichrist. All of that is to get the attention off of those resurrected witnesses and back over here to what is happening with the Antichrist. Those three and a half next years are going to be difficult, hard, terrible years. How? Because of two edicts that's been made right here once this has happened. 
Look what it says in verse 15. Causes as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. That's the first edict. Coming out of the mouth of that image, coming out of the command is this. If you do not worship the Antichrist, you will be killed. You will be killed. Does that remind you? You remember, you remember something in the Old Testament about that? You remember a story about that? What was it? The three Hebrew children, wasn't it? Nebuchadnezzar. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, don't you? The old Antichrist, when it talked about the way it was, it was pictured in that image, one was he had a lion's mouth, and that was a picture of the Babylonian Empire where Nebuchadnezzar was king. In other words, about those evil empires. This is not the first time. Nebuchadnezzar was a foreshadowing of what's going to happen here in the time of tribulation. The very same thing is said. If you do not bow down, you shall die. Those three Hebrew children refused to bow down. What did they tell Nebuchadnezzar? Listen, king, we will not bow down. Our God is able to save us. But if he does not, we will serve him anyway. That's what they said, right? That's what they said. Did you know that's exactly what a believer would have to say in this time of tribulation? They're going to have to say, we will not bow down. Our God will save us. If he does not save us, we will serve him anyway. Because the command is this, if you do not worship the beast, you shall die. If you do not bow down at that image, you shall die. That's the first. Here's the second of those edicts. And he causes all the small, the great, the rich, the poor, the free man, the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. I think that pretty well takes care of everybody, don't you? The rich, the poor, the free, the slave, all of those, great, the small, everybody's included in that, causes them to get a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. Why? Look at verse 17. He provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Why would he do this? He's a copycat. (laughs) What did God do for those who were his during the time of tribulation? He gave them a seal. The seal of Christ was upon them. And in the same way that Jesus sealed his believers, the old Antichrist comes up and says, you got to have my name, you got to have my number, you got to have my mark on you. And this is the only reason you have to have it. If you want to buy anything, sell anything, if you want to do, if you want to carry on life, if you want to live life, you're going to have to have that mark on you. You're going to have to have that mark. So you to, if you don't have the mark, it's not only a fact if you don't, if you won't bow down, you'll die. But if you don't have that mark, you can't carry on any commerce. You can't buy anything. You can't live life. You can't live life. Now, see, so many of us think that the purpose of us is to live life. We've got to do everything we can to live life. We've got to do everything to have to live life. Living life's not the thing. Getting ready for glory's the thing. <laughs> Being ready for, for eternity's the thing. And for these people, they're going to have to decide, am I going to take on that mark so that I can live life, or am I going to reject that mark, and I'm going to believe in God, which may cost me my life. Then he goes on, talks about this number. Here's wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. His is the number of a man. Why 666? Well, the number of man in numerology, the number of man is the number six. 
You know why it's the number six? Because what day in creation was man created? He was created on the sixth day. It is appointed a man that he would work six days and then rest on the seventh. The number six is the number for man. And so when it comes to this number six, and it's got three, it's, it's a trinity of it or a trilogy of it. It's three times six. It's the best and the most that man can ever accomplish. This is the fullness of all that man could be. But here's the problem with man. His number six and God's number seven. The perfect number is seven. Six can never be seven. It doesn't matter how many sixes you add out there. Six, 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 plus six, six, six. It never equals seven. And all that man does can never equal seven. And therefore, the beast takes this all of man is and all that man can do and all that could possibly be of man and makes that the number. But when we look for our redemption, we do not look to man. We look to God. Amen. We do not look to man. We look to God. Now, very quickly, let me share this with you. Let me finish. I've heard people be so worried about that number 666. They say, man, they gave us social security cards. I wouldn't dare have one's got 666. Somebody showed me a while ago their driver's license. They got 666 on it. I've seen people, I'm not going to live at that house because it's 666. Don't worry about that. All right? It's not a matter that somebody's going to sneak up on you and put a 666 on your forehead and you didn't know it. That's not going to happen. This will be a willful choice. You will know that that choice you make means you're choosing life here instead of the kingdom. It means that you're choosing to have commerce here and to follow the beast instead of believing in eternity. You will know that you are making that choice. And there will be people who will make that choice in order to live, but they will miss eternity. You got it? They will miss eternity. Now, what does that say about you and me. Well, I've told you before and before. I, I believe, listen, I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe that's going to take place with all my heart. I don't believe I'm going to be here when all this is taking place. I don't believe I've got to make that decision. But some people will be. Now, I beg of you, I ask you, I instruct you, I do all I can to say, give your heart to Jesus today. Be in this day of grace. Be saved. Know where you're going. Know the glory. Do that today. But in case you are here, in case you are here, and you are part of the social church, but you're not a part of Jesus' church, if you're here and if the rapture happens, you're still left here, then I want you to know what the Word of God says you are going to face. I want you to know what the Word of God says that you are going to have to encounter and how difficult it is going to be, and how challenging it's going to be, and how those seven years will be the most dreaded seven years of human existence. You don't want to be here. Jesus doesn't want you to be here either. Amen? Give your heart to Christ. The reality of it is, it's coming. Don't know when? It's coming. Jesus knows when it's coming, and he's letting us know it, so that one day when it happens, we'll see what Jesus said, how he warned us, it's all true. His word is true. His word is true. And it's important enough that he wrote it to us. Give your heart to Jesus today, amen? That's the main thing. 
that concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.